Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Jacqueline Duff. She's an aerospace engineer who currently runs a YouTube channel. How's it going, Jacqueline? Pretty good. How about you? I am. I'm, I'm good. Um, I have no major weather or health complaints to bore you with. It's always good. It's. I'm awake and it's 73 degrees, so... Ooh, that's we can, nice. We can skip that whole Minnesota weather part of the show. <laughs> um, so you, let, we'll talk about the present first. You you run a YouTube channel called SciJoy. Do you want to describe that? Uh, yeah, we try and do kind of like hands-on science and engineering projects. Um, like one of our upcoming one is we're going to see whether or not astronauts burp in space. And we're going to do some experiments to like demonstrate that. I have watched the uh, the lead up videos for that as you go through preparing the experiments um, <laughs> with with uh, whiteboards covered in physics stuff. <laughs> yep. I don't I don't understand. Um, it's kind of fascinating. What uh what what are the variables in this? Uh, what 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 exactly are you trying to figure out? So the biggest thing is how to stop this thing once we because. Um, the whole point is astronauts are in free fall. So when you're in free fall, there's no buoyancy. So the like air bubbles in your stomach kind of just float there and they don't have any way to like come out. So instead of burping, astronauts kind of just throw up. So uh, we're going to demonstrate that by doing a th- free fall and putting like trying to make a little container burp some air and you'll see that it won't. So that part's easy. The hard part is stopping the container from smashing into the ground and destroying all the cameras. Right. So I think that's that's our our biggest uh, challenge. All right. This. So what kind of cameras do you have on this? Um, we'll have a couple of GoPro Hero Five sessions. Wow, high tech. You guys, you guys have the equipment to make this work, then. Yeah, we uh, fortunately we got a Google Making Science grant last year, so we were able to buy some nicer video and audio equipment. Oh, cool. So the other part of this channel is that it really is kind of a, a community. You you interact with your viewers and actually I think if I if I gleaned properly from what I was seeing in the comments, you actually let them take part in the experiments in various ways, kind of shaping how things are done. Yeah, that's that's the hope is as we grow, there's more and more people from our first video that we did. I'd try and always put something interactive or something that somebody can do. Like the first one was, uh, can you fold a piece of paper 42 times or whatever to get to like the moon? Uh, And then I gave them a spreadsheet. So if they wanted to do more projects, they could. And then a teacher, I believe it was in Thailand, said that his class watched that video and his kids came up with experiments to do from that. So, like, that's pretty much the goal of the videos is to have you go do something in real life. There's another one that was a storm spotter video. Um, so the Doppler radars can't see very far since the Earth is curved. So uh, you can people can go get trained to be a storm spotter. And the Weather Service will train you to go out and look for storms and report them. So we're just trying to give you, like, things to do in science and engineering. <laughs> Wait till you get a, a letter from a, a grade school class that is... Uh, become storm watchers. <laughs> That's true. I didn't think about that. <laughs> Some liability chasing issues. Chasing tornadoes. Right. <laughs> All right. So clearly, you have a science background as you go into this. Um, what exactly is your uh, history with the sciences? 
Um, so I have a master's in aerospace engineering. Um, I got it from probably a school that nobody's heard of. It's uh, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. It's a small little university in Florida. Okay. And, uh, and what did you do with that degree? Um, I got a co-op at United Space Alliance, which I had no idea what that was at the time. I just was trying to apply somewhere for a co-op. Uh, and it ended up being down at Kennedy Space Center, and I got to work on space shuttles. And then when I graduated, I got to continue that job until the space shuttle program ended. So you worked on actual space shuttles that we've all seen yeah, so they didn't tell you that in the job description. It just said orbiter flow management, so nobody knew what that was. And then the third day of work, they're like, do you want to go inside the space shuttle? And I was like, why didn't you put this in like your application? <laughs> you told me I was going to do paperwork. Do you think that's intentional? Maybe, so not everyone applies. Because right. they made it sound very boring and also very intense. They're like, have you dealt with a lot of conflict resolution before? <laughs> that was like the question they asked the most in the interview. And then you get there and they're like, you can go play with the wires in the space shuttle. So was there a lot of conflict resolution to deal with? Um, they're not like super angry, but there's a lot of conflict and lots of deadlines. Like if you go out to uh, lunch for too long, you'd come back and there'd be a post-it note on your desk that'd be like, you're holding up space flight and you <laughs> actually were. So <laughs> it was pretty tense. <laughs> wow. So, uh, which shuttles did you work on? Um, I was the lead electrical engineer for Endeavor, and I also worked on Discovery and Atlantis. Those wow. were the only ones that were still there by the time I got there. Sure. Um, so, what does lead electrical engineer mean in this particular case? Um, so, every time a shuttle comes back, uh, we have a lot of things to do to it. So there's two main things that I'm in charge of, making sure that everything still works. We have a lot of checkouts to do of different systems to make sure the crazy vibrations and everything haven't torn anything apart. And then if there's any modifications that we need to do, like one of the mods we did while I was there was uh, called the BLT mod because they're great with acronyms. Um, it was the boundary <laughs> layer transition mod. And when the shuttle came back, it was going Mach 25, which nothing else does that. And the bottom of it's super flat. And they wanted to see what happens if we like put a little protrusion there. So we had to wire uh, stuff to the sensors. So when it would come back, uh, the boundary layer, like the air going underneath, would trip at Mach 25. And they'd see like the temperature and like stuff like that. So they were always experimental vehicles. Every single flight, we had new things that we were installing and doing. Yeah. I guess I never think about that part of it, like to I, the idea of putting a large craft into space seems like enough of an experiment. But <laughs> how would you get better at it if you're not constantly tweaking and learning from every aspect of it? That's yeah, it's obvious now that I say it out loud. But yeah, I don't th I didn't even think about that kind of stuff. And nothing about it is ever routine. Every every flight, there's something different like uh, Atlantis. I think it was Atlantis, um, didn't almost fly its last flight because uh, a handle, like a little knob, had gotten between two of the window panes in the shuttle's glass, like the front um, like windows that they have, and they had to get it out without wrecking the windows. Uh, so they had to use, uh, they had to like cool down the windows to compress them and get them out, and if it didn't work within a couple of days, they were just going to have to scrap the mission. So like every 
every time was something different and new. And is scrapping the mission, I assume that's a big deal because there's so many moving parts. Yeah. So it was more, um, it was towards the end. So it would just been the very last one because, uh, the, the day I got laid off, 3,000 other people get laid off, and it was the day after Atlantis had landed. So they were cutting it pretty close by pushing the deadline out again and again. Uh, uh, so so it wasn't so much a deadline for that flight. It was a deadline for the whole program. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about uh, the the cessation of the shuttle program? Um, I didn't mind that it ended. It's just been a very big gap between uh, that's kind of stinks. Uh, we were working on the next program at the same time we were working on what was then called constellation. We launched, uh, something called Ares one X. And while we were doing the shuttles, we were also doing the wiring for those. Um, and then administrations change and things get scrapped and then new administration change and more things get scrapped. So yeah, that's what it's a little bit behind. It's a uh, uh, it's ex- uh, NASA in general extremely susceptible to political wins. Yeah, yeah, that happens with government funding. Um, so, any good NASA stories while we're on that topic? Um, from I guess NASA and like politics kind of thing. Uh, the last Endeavor launch um, was scrubbed, and they thought it was electrical so that was obviously bad for me and then we were we had to go immediately into uh, a meeting to do like um, after it's scrubbed you have to like safe the pad and it was a couple billion dollar experiment that was inside of the payload bay with 12 different countries and it needed to be cooled there's just a lot to figure out and we were in this meeting and um we just kept dragging out, dragging out. And then the person that was in charge was like, uh, the Secret Service won't let us leave because Obama was visiting for the last launch. And he was afraid since um, he was kind of letting go of the shuttle program and thousands of us were getting like <laughs> let go. He was a little worried about us. So he didn't want us wandering the halls. So we were all trapped in a room for a while, which I mean, I kind of understand. And then they finally let us out. And when we were out, we have gates to get in in and out of everywhere. And the gates were shut down. And there were snipers on the vehicle assembly building. Um, Do you know which one that is? That one's like, I think, 528 feet tall or something like that. It's like huge. So uh, they were up there like watching this group of people shuffling around trying to get out. (laughs) Concerned about irate scientists? Yeah, pretty much. A science riot? (laughs) Wow. That's that. That it's pro- that was probably one of the more intense days, I assume. Yeah. Because you add to the uh, all of the everyday pressure of space travel, um, and all of the ground stuff that goes into it, and then add in Secret Service and rifles. I imagine that changes the dynamic. <laughs> yeah, even though it wasn't <laughs> his fault. I mean, the program had to come to an end at some point. Yeah. Agreed. I, I guess I, I personally, from an outsider perspective, had, had I had mixed feelings. Like it was sad because there was a lot of exploration and learning going on. But also it felt like we had kind of accomplished what we could at this time uh, as far as yeah. near space travel. But I am still excited about rovers. Yeah. Um, do you want me to tell you about the University Rover Challenge? Do I? 
Yeah, um, let's so let's talk about what what your connection there is. Uh, so I've I've volunteered at it before. Uh, I missed it this year, but in the past I've gone out there, and pretty much it's universities from all over the world come to a little place in Utah, and we quadruple their population for a couple of days. <laughs> uh, it's out at the Mars Desert Research Station. Uh, and the kids come with mock rovers and then we give them challenges because the Utah desert's kind of like the surface of Mars. So I've heard. So they drive around and it's kind of funny because some of them, like their colleges are in cities, so they don't like go out on the dirt. And there was one that was like the spiky robot. It didn't have wheels. It just had like these metal tubes sticking out of it. And then when they tried it in the dirt, the wheels just spun and it just dug itself like a hole and got lower and lower in the dirt. <laughs> yeah. It seems like it, it would be easy enough to have tested that before getting there. <laughs> but a lot of the kids have like really great rovers. Um, last year they had one where we put tennis balls out around and they had um, computer vision that could find the tennis balls and then hone in on them and like autonomously go. And do, do these kind of courses take place then in rougher terrain like yeah so very mars-like yeah so a lot of the ones start out flat and then we make them go through like rock gardens or off little cliffs or up mountains and we get pretty devious the further along you go in a course has ha have you seen anyone come up with a anything you would consider like a revolutionary uh mode of movement what's the ambulation yeah so one of the best ones we saw uh they took like the inside of a beanbag chair and they crushed up that filling yeah. and they put it in tires and they packed it really tight and it had really good grip and it was able to like climb mountains pretty well so that was one of the most ingenious ones that i remember huh yeah i i people used to use there was this stuff for fixing mountain bike tires that you basically squirted it inside and it created a similar effect. And I saw uh, back when I used to race mountain bikes, there were people that would actually use like a liquid filled tire and it was, it was like a beanbag and it would, it would slow you down, but you could climb anything. That makes sense. Has, have any of these ideas ever made it into uh, uh, NASA level production? Uh, not that I know of. Um, last year, SpaceX and Orbital ATK and one or two other places actually sent out recruiters to come watch the kids and see what they were doing since we were doing the autonomous part where the robots were thinking for themselves. Yeah. So they were pretty interested in, in the, what the kids were doing. So well, Hopefully for space exploration and not for self-driving cars. But That's true. <laughs> just a, a personal thought. Um, so what is... First Robotics. So First Robotics is for high schoolers, and uh, they have a new challenge every single year. And it's at the beginning of the year, it's like January 4th, first weekend of January, that they give these high schoolers a challenge. And then they have six weeks to build whatever the robot is. Uh, I think the first year I helped, it was a robot that shot Frisbees into high targets and then climbed a metal, metal pyramid. Um, so you have six weeks to build that with a bunch of high schoolers, which is always pretty interesting. Everyone's working towards the same requirement on that. 
Yeah. Okay. Everyone, um, it's also a global thing and everyone has the same standards and there are a ton of rules and they change the rules, uh, throughout the season sometimes because the kids find good ways of breaking them. Like the Frisbee <laughs> year, they let human players do stuff and they're like, okay, the last, you know, two minutes, human players can throw Frisbees onto the field. And that went really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, uh, no more of that. Sure. Yeah. Um, so do, I guess what is the, uh, correlation between, uh, like first robotics then and kids futures are the kids that show up to work on that. Uh, do you know if they tend to end up working in robotics? Uh, a lot of them tend to work up in engineering, uh, when they graduate, which is pretty cool. But, um, the person that runs it is Dean Kamen, the same guy that did, uh, was it the Segway? Yeah, uh, yeah. He's the guy that founded it. And he says that the cool thing about this, the difference between doing like a sport and doing first robotics is that everyone be can become a prof professional at this when they're done, which sure. is pretty cool. Um, is there a good representation of girls? Um, we're at, trying to get more age. and more. Okay. Eh, not the greatest. Uh, they actually recruited me as a mentor because they only had other one other female mentor on the team. But they try and, um, I think, get girls in there too. By they do more than just the robot. Uh, they do marketing. They have business. They do presentations. Uh, the actual highest award for first is not the robot that does the best. It's the team that does the greatest impact in their community. So at the same time, they're doing like um, fundraisers for charities or food drives. Or for us, we would go to the local libraries and run STEM programs for elementary school kids. So that's what they care about the most. And second, they care about the robot. That's interesting. Actually, kind of a fascinating way to approach it. Huh. All right. So, uh, as far as SciJoy goes now, um, what has been your favorite experiment there? One of our largest experiments was last summer we captured the total solar eclipse with a 360 camera. And we, uh, we put the camera on a weather balloon and flew it in Nebraska. Uh, so, when I think of the eclipse, I think of a very small... Uh, a uh, 15 degree scope that I would want to watch. Why, why a 360? Um, because we wanted to be able to see the moon kind of going in front of the sun. You can barely see that part, but we mostly wanted to look down and there was clouds and you could see the shadow of the moon going across the cloud top. Oh, cool. And so you could see it traveling. Yeah. I should probably look this one up and take a look. Um, it would have been better except for the fact that Nebraska apparently has grass like razor blades and uh, it also is extremely windy. So our first uh, balloon got away from us. It was like oh, 3,000 no. grams and it was supposed to be like 10 feet in diameter when we launched it. And uh, it was going to go like 32, I think 32,000 feet up, something like that. Uh, and that one blew away during our launch window, just as it was full. But we had a backup balloon, and we sent it up, and we still got some footage of it. That's uh, and it landed, <laughs> it landed in a, a farmer's yard, and we were very afraid um, that they were going to come out with like a shotgun. But he was super nice, and he was like, "What did you guys do?" And he was really interested and like wanted to see everything we had. 
the, that uh, type of complication sounds uh, not unfamiliar to someone who's gone through space shuttle launches. Yeah, um, they, there's been a lot of different things that have happened. And there's some um, things while you're actually repairing the space shuttle that uh, you wouldn't expect. Um, like, I didn't know that you could go inside of the space shuttle wings. And I was really excited when they told me I could go there. Because you can really go anywhere in there. You can go in the wings. You can go where the astronauts go. If you go in the mid-body where they put all the payloads and stuff, um, that's not actually metal. Like, that white in there are all just like sheets it's cloth so it's lighter so you can go in there you can go in the aft and then you, where the engines are and you can go in the wings and that was like my last thing on my checklist wait i when i think of the wings on a space shuttle they they don't strike me as big enough to be inside how big are they um well they start out pretty large and then they narrow a lot uh which is a problem I had to go to the very like tip of the wing to check out a connector that had an issue. And you can't go in there alone. You have to have a buddy. It's totally dark because it's not meant for humans. <laughs> uh, so you have to bring a flashlight in. And there's no air. So they have to pump air in, too. Uh, so my friend Bill, who's very tall and skinny, like went and checked it. But I was the lead engineer. So I had to follow up and check, too. And um, I am a girl and he's a boy. So... When I went through like the little triangle part, like all the struts are triangle, I went all the way to the top uh, and I got stuck. Like my chest got stuck and I couldn't get out. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to have to jack and level the space shuttle and they're going to have to take out these struts and there's going to be so much paperwork and I'm never going to live it down because <laughs> I'm the only girl in my group. And yeah, so that was that was an interesting day. It took me like 15 minutes to like shimmy my way out. And Bill was like, are you all right in there? I was like, I'm fine, Bill. Just give me a minute. And uh, eventually I got I got out, thankfully. So you're saying it was an anatomical issue. Yeah. 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 Um, it's kind of like a zip tie effect <laughs> where it kind of goes one way and not the other way. Yeah. I try not to squeeze through tight things these days. I get claustrophobic very quickly if I get stuck at all. So any other uh, humorous NASA stories you want to share before we go to top three picks? Um, my first day of work was pretty interesting. Uh, like <laughs> I right. said, I, 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 I thought that um, I was just working at a desk and doing paperwork. That's all they told me. So the first day of work, they send us to this building and we're all dressed up nicely and they take us upstairs and... They have these like canisters in front of us and they're like, pull out this plastic bag and put it on your head and turn on this. Well, first turn on the air can canister and then like put the plastic bag on your head. And I was like, my mom told me growing <laughs> up, like, do not put plastic bags on your head. I was like, I don't think this is a good idea. And I was like, why are we doing this? And they're like, in case all the oxygen is evacuated from your work area. And I was very confused. I was like, why is there no oxygen in the office building? Um, that's before I knew that we got to go inside the, the sure, space shuttle. That seems like a valid question. All right. So do you want to do some top three picks? Sure. All right. Um, we'll go back and forth one pick at a time and you get first pick. Um, so there's a video game that I've been playing a lot lately. It's called Overcooked. Have you ever heard of it? Only because you gave me a sneak preview of your uh, your picks. So, no, not really. 
so I think it's available like on a lot of the game systems and it's kind of a a group game. You're all working together in a kitchen to cook some soups or burritos and things like that. So you have to chop up the food and then you have to fry it and then you have to serve it. Um, and it's nice because I have uh, younger sisters and when we play games, uh, if it's everyone against each other, it's not always the greatest, but this is everybody working together. We still scream and yell a lot because if you cook it too long, if it's overcooked, then the whole kitchen catches on fire and the fire spreads around the room. So so have, have you played many uh, cooperative games versus competitive games? No, not too many. People keep recommending um, like Arkham Horror and uh, Pandemic to me as like group games that are everyone wins or everyone loses, which sounds like what this is. I'm intrigued by the idea, but I've not not had a chance to really get enough people into a game to find out if it's still fun. I also really like beating people at stuff. <laughs> That's true. All Sometimes right. it's nice to to beat your siblings. <laughs> For sure. Um, what... I wonder if this is available on anything I could actually play it on. Is there an iPad version? Mm, that I don't know. We play it on the Switch. Yeah, I'll see what I can find. All right. So my first pick is actually going to be a book. And I've picked this author before. There were a few of his books that I had never tried because I don't get much into vampire fiction. Uh, but it's Christopher Moore and the way he tells stories is always entertaining so I figured I'd give the book You Suck a try and it has been uh, the only vampire story I've ever really enjoyed sounds good yeah, yeah I've, I've not read too many vampire books yeah I uh, honestly I've never read any before um, I've seen some movies but this one is hilarious I can enjoy a vampire I can laugh at, especially when the main characters are two vampires that are very new at being vampires and have no mentors and they're just kind of figuring it out. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what's your second pick? Um, it's called a TickBot. Okay. I just saw a, a video of it um, last week. Some students, I think they work with NASA, uh, made a little bot that goes around the backyard and collects ticks because uh, oh. ticks can sense CO2. So they have um, dry ice in it and then the, they have cloth that drags behind it. And then the ticks want to climb up and then all the like insecticide is inside of the robot. Oh, man. So, yeah, it's summer. So I, I wish I had one. I yeah, I have a there's a part of me that just doesn't want to go outside at all because I find ticks so <laughs> It's like the only thing outside that I'm truly scared of. I'd rather run into a bear than get covered in ticks. Yeah. Not that I have a lot of bears around here. <laughs> you don't have to carry bear spray? No. Is that a thing or is that a joke? I don't know if there's such I a thought thing. It was, <laughs> I thought it was a joke. And then we went to Yellowstone and it's a real thing. Huh. People actually, like you're supposed to spray it in front of you as the bear is running. And it's like hardcore mace for a bear. Wow. Why do you spray it in front of you? Because that's the bears running at you. Oh, running at you. So I it thought goes it through, was chasing yeah. you, but you're not supposed to run from bears. <laughs> I guess not. There was like, before we went to Yellowstone, we looked up a lot about bears and 
they gave like very specific instructions depending on what type of bear. And I was like, I'm just going to die. If I have to figure out what type of bear it is, whether I should run or lay down, it's, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I could see that. That All right. Well, this is fascinating. A tick bot. I'm going to. Oh, and you could combine it with the autonomous tennis ball finding robots and have it just it's patrol true. your yard. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. So uh, my second pick is a it's a bargain. Um, I've been doing a lot of yoga. I talk about it too much. Um, but I, I I wear tank tops when I do yoga. I found that kind of to be the perfect upper garment for a male, probably for females, too. Um, I just like to have something that doesn't smell. And I do yoga multiple times a week. So I've been adding to my collection of tank tops. And I have found these Bella canvas tank tops that you can find from multiple vendors on Amazon. You can get them for about eight bucks and they're really high quality and super comfortable. Uh, If you get a lighter colored one, your sweat will show up. Uh, You will get like the heart shaped pattern (laughs) of sweat on your chest. (laughs) But if you can deal with that and you can get them in like a dark heather gray or a royal blue that I can vouch does not show sweat nearly as much i also like uh didn't you sell tank tops i think i have one from you that is bold yeah yeah i did sell it was what how was the quality on the one you got i liked it it's it was pretty soft and i still use it all the time i should have ordered one of those the couple that i ordered from that campaign uh were t-shirts and the material was not as soft as they told me it was going to be Oh, that stinks. (laughs) Yeah. I I know that that happened with some like other podcasters. I think it was either ATP or somebody on Relay were selling shirts and they had to switch vendors because most of the shirts got screwed up. Yeah, it's kind of rough. All this uh, when when you're um, creating your T-shirts digitally and having someone sell them with drop shipping and you never actually get to inspect them before they go out. And you have to wait for a customer to like ping you and be like, hey, (laughs) your shirts don't work. (laughs) All right. So third pick. Um, I know that you like a lot of different music. I only have one artist, I think, that is a little bit unusual that I like. And his name is Colin Stetson. Have you heard of him before? Again, I got the preview from you and I went and listened to this and you're going to have to explain it to me. (laughs) Yeah. So when I first found him, I was like, what is this noise? Um, I didn't like it at first. And then I researched what he was actually doing. And then I kind of appreciated it and it grew on me. Um, So he plays saxophones and he does circular breathing. So the link I sent you is an 11 minute uh, video of him just playing the saxophone without taking any breaks uh, in between or pauses. And you saw him down like in a little tunnel thing. And that's because he puts microphones everywhere. So he has microphones um, all over the tunnel and all over the saxophone. So the different um, pedals he's hitting make different noises too. And he uses that. And he also has something around his throat. So he sometimes like sings slash screams. And that's part of the song too. Wow. So I just think it's so technically challenging that I was just really impressed. That, Okay. I, I can uh, I can appreciate that more now. It sounded like Kenny G on acid at first. 
Yeah, and the first time I heard it, I was like, this is not music. This is just random noise. <laughs> John Cage meets free jazz. Yeah. Um, that that makes it far more interesting. Is circular breathing, does that just mean he's playing on the inhale? Or is there actually a like breathing think, out through the mouth while breathing in through the nose kind of thing? I think it's that. I'm not, I've tried to look it up, but I didn't find exactly what it is. I think he's kind of like pumps, like I've seen him live and it looks like he like pumps air into the saxophone. And then I think he, then he breathes after that. So while the air is going out, he's like trying to take a breath. Huh. Interesting. Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. He like, I've seen him live and his face turns like bright red like after playing just one song because it's so taxing. Wow. And how long was the show? Um, I think it was like an hour or so. Wow. That's stamina then. Yep. <laughs> nice. All right. So my, my last pick, I'll, I'll get back to tech here. Um, I a, a while back, probably a couple years ago, I picked up this thing called the flick button. And it's a little thing just about the size of maybe a piece of chocolate in the average size candy um, inch inch diameter little circle that you can assign to do things like run an IFTTT recipe or uh, basically there's like a an app on the phone that it would trigger and you could have it call webhooks and things and it was a neat idea but it did require that it that your phone be nearby. So if you were to try to do something, have it turn on your TV, no one else would be able to use it to turn on the TV unless you were home, uh, which somewhat defeated the purpose of a hardware button for me. They recently, mm -hmm. finally, uh, the Kickstarter for the Flick Hub uh, got shipped. I got mine and suddenly these things are valuable because the Flick Hub uh, hooks into your router or just over Wi-Fi within your home network. And you don't need a phone at all. Now you can have it. I have one uh, under under my desk next to the controls for my, uh, my treadmill that I can reach under the desk. And no, it does not lock the door. It turns the lights in the office on and off, which is it's handy because a lot of times I come into the office, forget to turn the lights on on my way in because it's still light out. And then the sun goes down and I'm sitting in the dark. And when I finally realize it, I got to stop what I'm doing, get up, cross the room, flip a light switch. And that to me is just a waste of time. So now I have a button under my desk to do it. Um, but you can do just about anything that you can access through uh, a web hook or a hue bulb. It's cool. That is pretty cool. So you can automate your, your house the way you want it. Right. I even the I got the IR blaster add-on, so I intend to have it able to control various home uh, entertainment features too. It's hard to find a Are good IR have... blaster in general. Yeah. Do you have more further plans for other things to automate in your house? I my goal is to automate everything. And have Alexa slash Siri control over everything. Wow, I just set off two. Sorry, I'm not sure. It's okay. <laughs> She's not sure about Siri. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just like automation. Even if it's less convenient, 
sometimes than just flipping a switch. I like being able to do things with my computers and my phone. And do you have home automation stuff? Um, not too much. We're kind of working with some Raspberry Pis and Arduinos to try and do some home automation kind of oh, cool. things. Have you seen uh, Alexa Pi? No, I have not. So she's going to tell you about it now. I got to stop doing that. Hang on. Alexa, cancel. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> but it's a, a Raspberry Pi interface that you can use to create. And this is if I understand it. I have not played with this yet. But uh, something you can run on a Pi to uh, create skills for her. Cool. Which, yeah. yeah we, uh, we created, I tried to create some skills for Alexa for kind of a all in one home automation thing where you could like turn things on and off. It was a, it was a little difficult to write the skill, but we're still working on it. Yeah. I haven't actually written any, any, any skills that require any coding. Uh, just the, uh, blueprints that I talked about on the last episode, actually making uh, pet sitter instructions and whatnot. I would like to, though. I would also like to write more serious skills, but that's not really a feasible thing right now. Yeah. Do you think you would write, like, those long routines where, like, certain things happen at certain times of day instead of you having to hit the button when the lights go down? Would you just have it, like, automatically happen? So, yes. Um in my old home, like the first home I lived in after I got married, um, I had it set up so that every switch was also hooked into logic. So if you turn the lights on, it would check to see what light you had on before that. It would check to see what time of day it was. It would check to see if certain other doors were opened or closed, and it would determine who was where using all of this logic and perform different actions. That's stuff that I miss. And as I kind of move away from my whole Insteon X10 setup and into kind of a more hue-based environment, lighting-wise, I'm really missing the ability to do some of that more advanced logic with sensors and all of these things. And I would love to start creating uh, more extensible skills for these kind of for home kit and for Alexa's automation just to start allowing that kind of scriptability again. Yeah. It's, it's sad that it's so limited. Yeah. Like it got more reliable, but way stupider. Yeah. One of the more interesting things or more useful things I saw was there are ones that can measure like the flow in your house, like the water flow. And it, uses some kind of machine learning to kind of see what you're doing throughout the day. And then it knows from that, if there's like a big influx of, you know, water that you probably have a pipe that has burst or if the temperatures have dropped or something like that. And it just shuts off your water automatically, which I thought was pretty cool. That is a cool idea. Something that figures out what normal is and then detects when things are no longer normal. Yeah. And then does something about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously for every different, for electrical and plumbing, et cetera, you'd need different sensors and different uh, servos to control everything. But 
Yeah, you could build a home that was self-repairing. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about where you can be found. I know right off the top of my head that your YouTube channel is called SciJoy, uh, and it's very easy to find. Um, and you have SciJoy.community, a web page, uh, community. One of these new TLDs has, has, has any, do you also own like SciJoy? No, you can't. Do people have trouble realizing that dot community is a top level domain? Um, sometimes I, I haven't gotten too many um, issues with it yet. I suppose a lot of people are just clicking a link, not. Yeah. yeah. Or so, just Googling SciJoy and hoping it comes right. up. <laughs> yeah, I feel like. Uh, that's something I don't give enough credit. Uh, nobody actually types in URLs anyway. But um, and then you are the SciJoy. Just just for clarity, this is S C I J O Y. Uh, so the SciJoy on Twitter. Anywhere Correct. else you want to mention? Um, I think those are the places we hang out the most. We have an Instagram too, which is SciJoy. Um, but yeah, if you just Google SciJoy, I think we're the only thing that comes up. All right. And definitely, if if you get into those videos, uh, interact. I, I feel like that is half of the fun of of what you're doing is this idea that your audience is also part of everything. And it, it, because it's science, that's kind of fascinating. Yeah, we'd love for more people to engage in the future. We hope we can like write programs and stuff together. So if we build a robot, you guys can send us programs and we'll run it for you. So you don't have to spend the money on the robot. Nice. All right. Well, and uh, I have my little tail thing that'll add on with where you can find me. So thanks, Jacqueline, for uh, for taking the time to do this. This has been fun. Yeah. Sorry if I was too rambly. I get nervous and just kind of like go. <laughs> Again, I feel like you've heard this show before. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, I'm going to be promoting MaxDoc 2018 for the next few months. So here's your reminder for this episode. I'll be at MaxDoc this year giving a talk amidst an awesome speaker lineup. If you haven't signed up yet and you can make it to the Chicago area July 21st and 22nd, head to MaxDocConferenceAndExpo.com. If you use the coupon code IndieNerd, you can get $70 off a weekend pass. It's a great chance to meet up with your favorite Mac and iOS loving podcasters, bloggers, personalities, as well as fellow Apple lovers. Visit max.conferenceandexpo.com and use the coupon code IndieNerd, I-N-D-I-E-N-E-R-D. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Systematic. You can find me at brettterpstra.com and as TT Scoff on every platform, including Facebook, Twitter, GitHub, Last.fm, and probably a bunch you've never heard of. Just search for T-T-S-C-O-F-F. You can also find Systematic on Twitter, so to tweet at me and my guest, and for updates and announcements, follow Systemcast, S-Y-S-T-M-C-A-S-T. If you're loving Systematic, don't forget to go leave an inspiring iTunes review. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.